Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In this episode, I speak with Richa Gupta, founder and president of Good Food for Good, a Toronto-based brand focused on ketchup, barbecue, and cooking sauces made from fresh, whole, and organic ingredients. She talks about her journey from working for General Mills as a marketing manager for some of the most recognizable product brands to eventually founding her own brand. She talks about how her desire to not only help people eat less sugar and non-food substances, but she also had this deeper desire to just make a bigger impact in the world. She talks about how then she turned these desires into action by whipping up her first products in her kitchen and then took them to a farmer's market and began selling. She tells the story of how a chance conversation with one of her customers at a farmer's market inspired her to create what became her best-selling product. She also shares the exciting news of their retail expansion into Whole Foods in the United States and what that means for her business. This was a fun conversation with a down-to-earth, pragmatic, and inspiring founder. There's a lot to unpack in this episode. I hope you enjoy. All right. Hi, Richa. Thank you for uh, for jumping on with us today. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. How are you doing? I am great. Thank you for inviting me, Ken. It's an honor. Oh, great, great. I look forward to digging into your story and, and kind of uh, understanding your journey so far. Um, but first, we, we like to kick it off with a quote. Um, you know, something that's impactful for you or something that is has influenced you in some way. Do you have one in mind? Absolutely. Um, it's actually even on our office walls. It's called, um, it's by Mahatma Gandhi and uh, it's be the change you wish to see in the world. And uh, this quote meant a lot to me when I started the company before that. And even today, it's like uh, everyday decision-making tool uh, for us. So do you want me to, like, should I continue explaining? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, no, okay, I, I, I love that quote, first of all, you know, and I, 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 I just think it's, it's something that we can all take to heart, you know, and instead of, you know, kind of complaining about the things that are wrong in the world is, is, you know, jump in and, and kind of be that change. Um, but yeah. So how do you, how does that uh, apply to you? You know, like what, what specifically have you taken from that and, and how has that influenced you? Totally. Like I, what I loved about the quote was it talks about individual responsibility, um, mm-hmm. and leadership and, uh, and this company, Good Food for Good, um, 
was um, in a way my way of bringing that change. Um, so when I started the company, I was uh, working in marketing at a food company at General Mills. Um, mm-hmm. And I also had a four-year-old, my daughter was four at that time. I was really struggling um, to feed my daughter the food that I grew up with. So I grew up in India. My mom cooked three times a day, all fresh food. And here I had 20 minutes at the end of the day to feed my daughter um, dinner and uh, and put her to bed because of the time that I would reach home from work. And uh, anytime I looked around to find shortcuts that would make my, um, you know, feeding her easy, they were loaded with First, like a lot of sugar, salts, ingredients that I didn't call food, preservatives. And second, you know, working at General Mills had taught me so much about all these extra ingredients that you see on the panels that are not food um, and what what they do and why we put them in our body. Um, so that insider information combined with mom guilt um, was really, really weighing on me. and. Um, just this idea behind creating something that not only would make a difference in my life, but also in life of someone else in need came, right. came from this concept of, Hey, if you can't find it, you be the change, right? Like if you, you, you activate that change, um, if you're not happy with the status quo. So that's how good food for good began, right? Like that's the, that's the reason why we exist today. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and in fact, that that mom guilt that you mentioned is a real thing. And, you know, there's also dad guilt. You know, I feel it sometimes, too. And, you know, I, I roll my kids through another drive through, you know. Um, so I, 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 I totally identify with that. Um, yeah, it's, I, it's a full on parent guilt. man. it's like anyone you nurture. Right. Yeah. Like we created these beings with so much love and care inside of us. And then we bring them out and we feed them things that we know are really not good for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you and you love them and you want to, you'll do anything for them and and yet, yeah. you know, you run through McDonald's yet again, you know. Um, exactly. Um no. I've, you know, I've been kind of entertaining this thought, but um you know, I just think convenience is the ultimate feature, you know, in any product or service. Um you know, and I I don't think, you know, as people we we don't we, we put it we, we don't put enough uh um, thought into that, but just convenience is, is huge. I mean, the reason I run through McDonald's is not because I want McDonald's or because, you know, that's the only place to eat. It's just, it's so convenient. It's so easy. And so, um, you know, it ends up being the default choice, you know? So anyway, I've just been thinking about that a little bit. No, I agree. I agree. It's, it is, it is. Our lives have become so busy. Like, like, I, th- I guess the whole, like back in the day, or, you know, even if you look 50 years, 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. people had slightly different priorities, or even if they had the same priorities, they just had not so many things, not so many things asking for their time. So they had time to make a meal and sit down with their family because 50 years ago, people were still making their meals or 60 years ago, before a lot of processed food companies came Mm -hmm. to be, they were still making their meals. They were still eating together. Um, and um, yeah, and then, you know, with advent of technology, with advent of so many, so many 
situations and things um, grabbing attention of our time. We have very limited time left to actually, um, you know, focus on things that at the end of the day matter most to us um, right. for our bodies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's dig into, um, you know, I, I just want to go back in time a little bit, you know, when you were thinking about starting your company. So you'd mentioned that you worked at General Mills. Um, what did you do there? I was in marketing. I was a brand marketer. Okay. Any particular products that you could tell us about that you were involved oh, with? Oh, man. So many. Um, during my tenure, I managed uh, Fiber One bars, Fiber One cereal, oatmeal crisp. I managed Green Giant. Um, and the Old El Paso, which is the last brand that I was on uh, before I left. Yeah. And so was that something that you had always been interested in or how how did you even get, get the job and and start working at General Mills? It's an interesting story. So before, before Jen Mills, I'd worked in fashion all my life. Um, Uh I grew up in India. I knew, I think I was in grade 10 that I want to get into fashion. So I studied fashion and uh, got a job um, as a designer. And um, during that journey, it's actually that journey is also linked to why our business is a social enterprise. Huh. Um, it's, it's, it's really funny. And I was 19 when I got my first job. Uh-huh. Um, and I think three months in or three or four months in probably, uh, my, um, my boss asked me to go visit artisans who do all this um, embroidery or like handwork on these, you know, beautiful, elaborate outfits that we use to create. Yeah. Um, and when I, when I reached there, I was super excited. I was like, oh my God, I'll finally meet people who bring what I put on sketch, <laughs> you know, to this beautiful outfit. Uh-huh. When I reached there, I got the shock of my life. These, they were like at least 20 people in a tiny little room. Wow. Um, um, sitting around a cot doing the needlework. There was just this gloominess in that room. It was a hot day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, you know, just the, the whole aura was so sad. And just the contrast of these people who were actually doing the work, bringing, making these out, outfits worth thousands of rupees mm-hmm. are living in such really bad circumstances, left a really bad taste in my mouth. And I really... I didn't want to do that anymore. I felt responsible for what they were going through. But at 19, I really didn't know what to do about it um, or how to go about it. I come from a, you know, really middle-class family, you know, just, you know, we, we were trying to make ends meet ourselves. Um, But that, that just left me in shock. Um, And, and what I, did was like, you know, I just changed my role instead of design. I was like, okay, if I continue in design, I would have to see them again and again. Perhaps sure. I can go in business development. Mm-hmm. At least I'll still be with fashion, but I won't have to witness that. So that's what I did. I moved to business development, um, worked in that. When I reached Canada, I worked in buying here at the, um, at Hudson's Bay, which is one of the big, uh, retail retailers here in Canada. Uh-huh. Um, but the, the feeling came back again, right? Like I think I was 30 and pregnant with my uh, daughter when, when I got this feeling back that, you know, you got to do something more meaningful. Um, life is not about buttons and threads, which is what it had become um, working in fashion. Just the superficialness of, of 
apparel and fashion was getting to me. So I decided to do, and I was an immigrant to this country, right? So for me to switch industries, I know I had to go to school. So I did my MBA during my maternity leave um, and, uh, and got a job at General Mills. And I thought, oh, it's food, you know? Has mm-hmm. to be more meaningful than fashion, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how General Mills happened, and and to be honest, like my first year, first year and a half, I really loved everything about General Mills because um, I was just loving um, the the company is really good. It really, even as an associate, you get you are empowered to make decisions to do things, which is mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started learning more about ingredients and what was going in the product and why we were putting things in the product, I just, you know, the, the feeling came back in again, right? Like I was like, okay, this is not the meaning that I was looking for. I'm not making a positive reference again. You know, I'm, yeah. I am contributing to bad health instead of contributing to good health. So it's that personal tug of war there and then personal in like as a mom tug of war. So. Yeah. And that's one of the things I was going to ask you is if, if, you know, maybe some of these feelings, um, you know, increased as you became a parent, you know? Yeah. And, oh my God. So much. Okay. Totally. Yeah. So much, so much. I, th- I think there is something to do with once you see the world differently once you become a parent. Yeah, um, totally. And, uh, and I think that's what was happening in my life. Right. Instead of being just all by myself, you know, it's about me world uh, to, Hey, I have another person <laughs> that I need to take care of. Um, and that changed everything. Yeah. Right. And and what kind of world you're leaving behind, you know, for, for them, you know, yeah. you know, that, that all starts to become a factor. You know, it's funny exactly. if my, my single self, you know, when I was back in college and stuff could hear me today, I don't think I'd believe, you know, some of the things that I think and, and say, because I, my mind just wasn't there at all back then. You know, it's, it's completely changed as I've become a parent. Me too. Oh my God. I was yeah. a very different person. Like people who knew me, my parents tell me like, I don't know what happened to you. You like this one. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, so, so let's, let's, let's hear about this. So you're, you're dissatisfied, you know, with, um, you know, with, with your contribution, wondering if there's something more, if there's a better way that you could contribute. What, um, so what did you do, um, to, to then launch, you know, good food for, for good? How did you, you know, what were your next steps? So, um, I started, um, I, you know, I did my market research, you know, thanks to marketing training at General Mills, um, Uh (laughs) on, on where is the, where is the pain point? So I looked at different categories where people, where, you know, there was demand, like people, there was white space um, in terms of healthy, real, wholesome food. Um, And I saw at that time um, the ethnic cooking sauces, like Indian and Mexican sauces were the first things that I launched. There was no product on the shelves that didn't have sugar or like really high sodium or, you know, no dairy. Um, they were all loaded with preservatives, had ingredients that you didn't know what they were about. Like, um, so I started with that line. I started developing recipes in my kitchen. Um, and luckily, luckily I, I always loved cooking. I always loved food. So, so that came easy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then actually the first year, all I did was go to farmer's markets 
and and uh, do lemonade stand pretty much to test if is it is this idea just in my head or is it big enough um, for me to expand? And oh. it it was actually through 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 my farmers markets I got the product ideas for my next lineups. So we are most popular lineup today is our line of organic ketchups and barbecue sauces. They are right. sweetened with dates, no added sugar. Hmm. Um, and it was actually one of the consumers who came to me and she's like, my daughter eats everything with ketchup. Can you please do something about it? <laughs> and that's how and we that, started. <laughs> and that got you thinking. So, so I want to dig yeah. into, no, I want to dig into some of this, Rich. I, 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 um, you know, so you, you come with this marketing, um, background, right. As, as a, as a marketing manager with General Mills. What um what specifically do you, did you do to try to figure out what the market looked like and what what products could do well and you know so you mentioned that you did some research but was there anything specific that you that you did in order to get that information? Yeah, so a few things. One, you look at trends. Um, you read Neuromonitor or you know even now trends are just freely available everywhere and anything you if any product category you're looking at if you search for it you would know like everyone knows clean eating you know people want clean ingredients people want low sodium people want no sugar like those mm-hmm. things have become very apparent people want plant-based um alternatives and then you look at uh, competition then you look at what's on the shelf right now and you see if there's a gap like that's the the basic research um and even market size information you can get once you like a, a simple Google search will tell you uh, what's the size of the market, um, or you can reach out to government resources. So we have something called Omafra in Canada for Ontario manufacturers. You can reach out to them. Uh, they buy a lot of data, so you can always ask them, "Hey, can you tell me the market size of this category, and who are the com- what's the competitive set?" Or you just go to a store and check the competitive set, right? So did you say Omafra? What What is it called? Omafra. Omafra. But that's very Ontario-based. That's very Canadian. So in the U.S. I'm, does that stand, stand for something? Oh, uh, like, you're asking me a difficult um, question. I have to Google it now. Yes, it does stand for Ontario Manufacturers something, something. But that something, okay. something is what I have to find. <laughs> Got it. But the general principle is that um, they do have some of these organizations that that buy a lot of data and and supply. Exactly, those. exactly. So it's called Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs. <laughs> <laughs> Just rolls off the tongue, right? Exactly. That's all. Like it's a mafra. That's all that I. Do. <laughs> <laughs> and so, okay. So you're 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 based in in Toronto. Is that right? Yeah. Um, that's but correct. You, but you would say that there are, you know, these organizations kind of kind of wherever you look, you could you could find some information there. Um, and so you just called yes. them up and you asked for this. Did you have to pay anything to join their organization, or how did it, how did that work? No. Nope. Thing. They, they, these organizations are started pretty much by governments, right? So they want to help businesses grow. Um, and yeah, and then they are happy to provide you guidance on, you know, where, how. So I think anybody starting a new business should look at government resources. There's so many, like people just don't, there is no one place where you can find everything. But uh, but there are so many free resources. Like we got so many grants from the government to help us with different things. Um, so it's uh, you know it's just you know you got you got to look 
in different places. Okay. And you'd mentioned also uh, finding the trends. And so some of this, this marketing data um, from these government resources, you know, might have some of the trend information, but, you know, you mentioned, you know, plant-based and clean eating and, you know, if somebody wanted to dig into and learn more about some of these trends, I mean, you know, let's break it down for them. What, what would you recommend that, that they do? Um, to be honest, I start everything with Google research. Uh, Google is the tool and I try and look for sources where they, where they're getting the data from. And if mm-hmm. they're reliable sources, like let's say Euromonitor, um, or it's, um, um, research paper, uh, by an organization, then you know that these are like true sources, um, versus, uh, a blog written by anybody, Richard Gupta. Right. So, so again, it's a critical thinking, right? Like don't take any information that's available online as long as you know, um, what to look for. Um, so some of the reliable sources I would say for trends would be at least in the industry that I am in, uh, would be Euromonitor. If you're looking for tech, I'm sure there are, there are different tech portals that talk about trends, uh, in tech. Google Trends is also another great place. Pinterest Trends is also another great place to look for what is it that people are talking about? What is it that people are looking for? Um, and, and taking it from there. Right. Yeah. And I think those are some great resources. Thank you for, for expanding on that a little bit. Um, I also wanted to, to touch into, okay, uh, you went to farmer's markets. Um, was that intentional from the beginning? Did you know that that's what you were going to do or did you just try it and it seemed to be working so you could continue, you continue to do it? What was your, what was your feeling about the farmer's markets? Yeah, no, I really want, that was part of the business plan because mm-hmm. uh, working at the mills, I learned whenever we did these focus groups, the information that you got out of there was just like, I felt it was unreliable when you're paying these people to think about things that they normally don't think about. And then your answers are all um, influenced by the the money exchange. Um, So I wanted to create an atmosphere where I am making my decision based on how consumers are actually consuming the product or whether they're buying X flavor or not. Um, When they come and the, the interaction that I have with them on week over week over week, um, taught me about what are they liking, what are they not liking, um, and which direction I need to go in. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's, I think it's a trend that we see, you know, it's, it's, I think it's always a good idea to go uh, in front of potential customers, right. And whether that's at a farmer's market or in some other way, but, you know, somebody who would actually have to reach into their pocket and buy from you, that's like the best data that you can get. Exactly. Exactly. Like how, you know, it's again, people say more different things than what they actually do. So Mm -hmm. judge them on what they do. I mean, take the information on what they actually do because they're more likely to do it versus on, on what they say. Right. So I kind of want to paint the picture of this first farmer's market that you went to. Um, what was the product and, and, uh, I, I guess you, you set up a table and then, and then what yeah, happened? It's just so funny. I'm, you're, you're taking me back and I'm getting nostalgic about it now. 
So I, I uh, started the company in September of uh, 2013 is when, you know, that was our te- like test mode. And um, I was just calling different farmers market to see if I can get, because I live in Toronto, right? In winter, usually there aren't many farmers markets that I could get a spot in the summer farmers market next year. Mm-hmm. However, this one market, they said, hey, hey, I have a spot starting October. It's an indoor farmers market. Would you like to join? I'm like, oh, I don't even have the products yet. I don't even know where I'll take it. <laughs> but let's sign up, right? And then we'll see what happens. So anyhow, I signed up and we reached there. And then at that time, I had late, like it's, I was, I made them in a mason jar. So I uh, rented a commercial kitchen because you can't really make it out of your house itself. Made uh-huh. the product, uh, packaged them in mason jars, put like a hand tag somewhere. I should have a picture of that handwritten hand tag, a tiny printed label, you know, like really well-crafted, according to me at that time, thing, <laughs> a, a small yeah. banner. Um, and uh, yeah, and then, you know, went there. My husband was so supportive. He drove me there, um, set up a table. Um, and then, yeah, and then we just waited. And I was so nervous. I'm like, oh my God, is anybody going to buy it? What will people think? Because even in farmer's market, right? It's not a very multicultural crowd that comes to farmer's market. It's very, and it's even the products. Most of the products that you get at farmer's market are usually just vegetables or jams and jellies. So it was right. a very unique product for the farmer's market as well. And then and I didn't know how Just many, to be clear, yeah. what was the product? Was it ketchup or was it No, else? no, no ketchup. So it was Indian cooking sauces, Mexican cooking sauces, and I had three dips as well so okay um, yeah so so again and three you know new to the world tips that nobody had heard of so so it was a very (laughs) very interesting experience a lot of consumer education a lot of talking a lot of smiling um (laughs) i took a picture of the person who bought the first jar actually she bought it even before the market opened (laughs) really (laughs) yeah like she just was was in early or yeah she was in early and then she tasted she's like yeah i'll take this like, oh my God, I made one sale. Someone bought what I made. I was so happy. <laughs> and and uh, what was, what were you charging for a jar of this? Like, what was that one sale worth? Oh, was, I think it was seven bucks. And yeah. was that a good price? Was that, you know, you increased your prices since then? Or what, what did you learn about, you know, the prices that you initially went out with? A little bit, because at that time I didn't uh, account for the distribution markup the broker markup, the retailer markup. <laughs> so it, yeah, it went out not, not by a lot. It's just went, went up by a buck. So it's, um, sure. yeah. So it's, sure. it's and, also and, about eight bucks. And, and a lot of people, you know, early on, you know, you're not necessarily trying to make a profit, you know, with that farmer's market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you can optimize all that later. Then the yeah. more valuable part is getting the data and understanding you know, directly from the consumers, what they like, what's resonating, what's not, all, all of that. Would you agree? Yeah, oh, totally, totally. I mean, I think first few years, I don't know any brand that made any money. <laughs> so, so it's not just just when you're launching, like people, it's just hard to make money when you're so small, like at that scale. Right, right. Okay, so you got some you got some initial feedback, you know, um I guess what was that feedback and then what did you take back to then change your product and and start iterating? Yeah, so we 
like we did as we went along. So if I, you know, in the first market or second market, if people tried certain products, they found certain things too spicy or certain things not too spicy, I was able to change the recipes for the next round, right? And and bring them out and then get them to try again. Um, um, an, another challenge, another thing that we learned was, so at my farmer's market, my dips did incredibly well because it's just convenience, right? They're all right. bean based. So they had protein and, you know, people can just dip their vegetables and eat it. And that becomes a meal versus cooking sauces while cooking. So, so when we launched that in retail, because they were so new to the world and their shelf life was so short and they were fresh, uh, they tanked. So some a learning that I didn't take from there, like in, in farmer's market, I was standing there, people were sampling and then they were buying. So they, I was able to explain to them what the product was. In a retail store, that doesn't happen, right? You can do one demo, you can do two demo, but you can't be standing there all day long at every store to tell people what it was <laughs> for them <laughs> to buy. So unless people know or can understand from the name what the product is, um, it's very difficult for it to work in the current retail landscape. Um, hmm. the way, the way people buy things. So it was important for it to, like, there's a reason why, uh, Beyond Meat calls it like there's a meat analog to it, right? Because if they say, Hey, pea burger or extruded pea burger, nobody would understand that. Right. <laughs> right. So they need a frame of reference for something they're yeah. familiar with to then bridge to your product. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I, you know, on your website today, you guys sell cooking sauces, you know, and so maybe that, that could be a good example. You know, it's not something that um, is, you know, like you were saying, was readily there for them to, to sample, you know, so they didn't necessarily do that great at the farmer's market. How did you actually then start? I guess, how did you, how did you start selling that? And, and how did you solve that issue um, that you were having in, in the retail environment where where there wasn't anybody there to explain your product. No, so so different things. So cooking, so we don't even have those dips anymore. So what I was talking about, the product that didn't do well in retail, and uh -huh. we actually discontinued it. So you don't, you will not even find that on our website. Um, okay. The cooking sauces did fine. The dips just did better um, in farmers market because it was just a more convenient item for people versus a cooking sauce. Uh, like see. they had to go home and cook with dip. You just take and eat. Right? <laughs> okay. So based uh, on the, on the, on what you heard from farmer's markets, you were, you were thinking that the dips would be great in retail, but the learning yeah. was, okay. It, the convenience of the, the farmer's market made it so dips look, uh, did, exactly. did well. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That was okay. the learning. Well, well, great. Um, uh, this, uh, you know, I'm intrigued by that story of of your customer that that recommended that you use dates or that you do something about it. Did you did you already have in mind that you wanted to add dates to it, or was that you know was that yeah. something you were already looking at? Yeah, we were already using dates in our cooking sauces. So uh, okay. the reason I was using dates uh, to begin with was when in my research. Um, all the sugar alcohols that I looked into, any sugar alternative that I looked into had some or the other, you know, negative impact on your body eventually, right? Mm -hmm. After you consume certain quantity or in kids, it can do this in, you know, it can have this side effects. 
And I was creating products for families. I didn't want to use anything that in long run would have a negative impact on people. So dates have existed forever, right? Like people have eaten them in different countries for centuries um, with zero side effects. (laughs) <laughs> right. Uh, so, so, so that's why dates became my sweetener of choice, and they because it's like a whole fruit, and we use it as a whole fruit. We don't use date extract or date sugar. It's just like date powder, not even powdered, ground up date, right? Like if you put date in the blender, that's what we use. Um, you get the fiber, and anytime you're eating fiber with sugar your body absorbs sugar slowly. So it doesn't really um, spike your blood sugar level that much. And also we use such small quantities. So our ketchup, for example, has only one gram of sugar per serving versus a Heinz that has four grams of sugar per serving coming from corn syrup um, or or sugar, plain sugar, right? Uh, Which actually is the same amount as one Chips Ahoy cookie. Um, and yeah, and barbecue sauces are even worse. Like sweet baby Ray has 17 grams of sugar per serving, 17 grams. And do you know how much sugar is in one Krispy Kreme donut? I don't think I want to know. (laughs) 10 grams, 10 grams. So two tablespoons of sweet baby Ray. (laughs) It has more. Yeah. Wow. Sugar (laughs) than a Krispy Kreme donut. And how many times? We say, oh, no to donut, but we have our barbecue chicken or barbecue tofu, which is probably worse than that donut that you would have enjoyed, at least gotten that sweet tooth satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've been doing keto for a few years. And so, you know, it's kind of taught me to look at the the, um, the amount of sugar in, in all the foods. And right. it's amazing. That's the hardest part of keto is just trying to steer clear of sugar because everything has a ton of sugar. You know? Totally. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm actually looking at your barbecue sauces right now. I'm on your website and I'm drooling a little bit because um, one of my issues with barbecue sauce is that most of them are too sweet. So I, I yeah. totally, I totally get that, you know, I, I want a good flavor, but I don't necessarily need it to taste like I'm eating a dessert or something, you know? Totally. Totally. Right. Like you don't, you, you need good flavor. You don't need all that sugar. And if you need sugar, you have a dessert. Don't right. waste it on. <laughs> you know, your, your, your main course, like even, even WHO says, right? Like 60 spoons of sugar, added sugar is max you should eat, you know, for, for, for body to function well. And if I have only 60 spoons to eat, I would rather have it in something that gives me that sweet satisfaction at least. Um, yeah. Right. Versus my main course. Yeah. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about where the, you know, where your business is now, right? So how, how long ago was that that you started the business? And then, um, you know, maybe tell us about the evolution of the company um, since then. Totally. So it was September of 2013 when I registered the company. And then um, it was, we were keeping it very local, very small till about 2017. Um, I was only using fresh, local, organic tomatoes. Um, and that was limiting, uh, how I could scale because in Ontario, you only get fresh local organic tomatoes in summer. Um, because 
we live in the country that we live in, Canada. Yes. You uh-huh. don't, I'm not in California. Um, <laughs> so I was at that time, I was like very hell bent on no. I, and then, you know, three years in, I realized I, there is no way I can make this business sustainable if I continued to be at that scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made a, a, a decision and I did a lot of research. Um, and I found organic tomato paste is like the cleanest tomato product because it does not have. So if you buy canned tomatoes, um, they usually have calcium chloride or some other preservative to preserve the shape. If you buy puree, they usually have something they add to preserve the color, but tomato paste is just tomatoes. So tomato paste became our savior and the reason why we were able to expand everywhere from from 2017 onwards now we are in um, available in Canada all across Canada from Costco to Walmart to Loblaws uh, all major channels of course Whole Foods was our first customer um, and in we just actually launched in US uh, at Whole yeah, Foods congratulations. Market that's awesome thank you so we are now available at Whole Foods nationally um, our cooking sauces as well as our ketchups and barbecue sauces. Um, so super excited about that, that people can find our products there. And uh, I know this is going to be the year when we'll, um, we can say that we donated a million meals. So one thing I didn't mention about our product is the company is called Good Food for Good. Good food is all about, you know, real wholesome food. But for good is also extremely dear to my heart. And I told the story earlier, but forgot to tell what the for good stands for. Um, so our company is a buy one, feed one venture. So every mm-hmm. time you buy our products, we feed a person in need. Um, so we are roughly at 800,000 meals donated. Um, wow. Yeah. So hopefully in a couple of months, we should get to a million. And, uh, um, you know, that would be uh, a good, uh, what's the right word to use? Landmark? No. Is it called Landmark? My, my, milestone. Milestone. Yes, mm-hmm. milestone. <laughs> that'll, be a, well, that'll be a milestone that I've been waiting for. Yeah, well, 800,000 800, is not so bad either. You know, um, <laughs> you know that's that's inspiring. That's awesome. Um, can you, you tell us just a little bit about the, the um, you know, the way that you actually do these meals? And, Ab- you know, I absolutely. guess what, what inspired it? What, what, was, what was the motivation behind setting up the company that way? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely the thing that had been haunting me since I was 19 was to do something for people who um, are not as fortunate as as some of us. Um, And um, it's been haunting me since I was 19, then started haunting me when I was working. And when I was doing my MBA, actually, I discovered Tom's shoes. And that... uh, that just stayed with me. I knew, and even my business plan, actually in my, in my MBA, I did a social enterprise and my entrepreneurship lecturer told me this is the first, first social entrepreneurship plan ever that he's gotten in the school at that time. Yeah, I'm sure there, there are many new social entrepreneurs since then, but, um, um, yeah, that was the plan. And then I knew if I would ever do something of my own, it would have that component. So when, the good food idea came to be, we had to, I had to make sure that it's part of it from day one. And we made sure it's part of it from day one. And our name actually good food for good. Not only is our name, it's one, our promise to the world, 
but it's also like our decision-making tool. So anytime we have to make a decision, people ask us, hey, why don't you have plastic squeeze bottles? All ketchups come in plastic squeeze bottles. It makes it so I'm like, no. I mean, we know what happens to plastic, right? Like only 9% gets recycled. Mm -hmm. Everything ends up in a landfill. I don't want to create a product that at some point is causing harm to some other, like I, it's not a band-aid solution. Like I want a company that's sustainable in all aspects, whether it's good for you, good for planet, good for, you know, people around, good for people who are not fortunate. Um, that's what I set out to do. So, so our decision-making tool is pretty simple. Yeah, that's is, great. Is it, is it for good? Is it good food? If not, it's not happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's great. Um, well, I, I know that we've been we've been uh, talking for a while, and even before we started recording, me and you just started talking. So I know we could talk for a long time, um, but I do appreciate you know hearing about your story, and you know congratulations on the the U.S. launch. That's amazing. Um, Thank you. And uh, I definitely want to want to hear um, and kind of read your posts when you guys hit a million uh, meals served. I think that's great. Um, Thank you. Let's, let's wrap up with a quick fire round. I've just got four questions for you. And I uh, just want to hear right. kind of the first, the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Um, what's one tool or resource um, that, that has helped you the most in your current, uh, in your current career? LinkedIn. Yeah, I would actually agree. That's, that's mine too. <laughs> um, what's one book that, uh, that you'd recommend to people? Start something that matters. And uh, do you know who that's by? Yeah, Blake Mykoski. And actually, can I recommend two books? Sure. Um, 21 Lessons for 21st Century by Yuval Noah Noah Harari. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely look those up. Um, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your 21-year-old self? I would tell the 21-year-old self to don't not be scared. Um, I wish I had taken steps back then on my calling, which has made me so happy when I finally was able to act on it. Um, so I wish I did something about it at 21. And uh, is there somebody in your field of work that, uh, that you, you know, that you look up to or that you're watching that you would love to take to lunch? Oh my God. Yes. I'm, I'm how can I, his, I am pathetic at his last name. I, I'm really bad, but you all, he founded Patagonia mm. um, and I am terrible saying his last name. So I'm not going to say that because <laughs> I'm going to butcher it. That's okay. We can, we can look him up. Oh, um, not you all. Sorry. Sorry. Yvonne, not you all. You all Harari also, I would like to take lunch too, but Yvonne and his last name is, I'm, I'm not saying Schoenard, Schoenard. I'm saying it wrong. Most likely saying it wrong. But yes, I would like to. If I learn how to say his name, I would like to take him for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe before you sit down and, and start eating, you should figure out how I to pronounce his last that. name. <laughs> I should do that. Yes. Well, Richard, this has been great. Um, I appreciate <laughs> that. Is is there any sort of parting advice um, that, that you would leave to, to other entrepreneurs that are um, that are running physical product businesses? You know, what, what would your advice be? Um, it's in a physical product business, especially in physical product business, there's so many moving parts that it's very difficult to always be, always be an expert in everything. So I would say, just reach out to people, just ask those questions. Don't be scared to ask questions. 
um, people in entrepreneurial world, at least I found are very helpful. It's like an invisible net that, that comes and helps you, um, reach your goals that you didn't had when you were working for a corporation. Mm. That's awesome. And that is a great place to end. Hey, Richard, thank you so much. And uh, I definitely want to reach out to you again. Uh, I'd love to spend a little bit more time talking about uh, cause marketing and, you know, kind of setting up your your company like you did. I think that there's there's a whole episode just on that alone. So um, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. Anytime, Ken, anytime. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. Find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations. Visit fiddle.io and then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, Thanks for listening.